Hope you have come with open hearts this morning, ready to open them to the Word of God, open them to God Himself. We read background passage in John chapter 4, I would invite, John chapter 8, I would encourage you to join me at this point in the book of Romans chapter 9 as we look over the history of the nation which has been given more spiritual light and privileges than any other the nation of Israel. To our human eyes, it may look as if this part of God's plan has been an utterly futile and complete disaster. But certainly God's plan, God's program couldn't have been continuing and and, and God maybe has made some mistakes. As it said on the screen, God makes no mistakes. We think about what you see when you look at Israel. You start with Abraham, and you find he lies about his wife being his sister, and, and uh, we see some deceit in him. We find the Hagar-Ishmael incident that still sits at the root of the Arab-Israeli controversy yet this day. We find favoritism in Isaac's home, where he prefers Esau, and, and Rebekah prefers Jacob, and least a great, great difficulty there. And then you move on to Jacob himself. You talk about a dysfunctional family. Boy, was that a dysfunctional family. It gets so bad, all the brothers kind of get together and even sell one of their little brothers into, into slavery. Now, maybe some older brothers have felt like doing that to their little brothers. But these guys actually, actually did it. Uh, what a dysfunctional family. You move on, and we find that uh, Israel spent some time in Egypt, God miraculously gets them out of there using the ten plagues, leads them through the Red Sea miraculously. But as the Israelites go through the wilderness, we find them grumbling and complaining and even stooping to idolatry while Moses is up on the mount receiving the law from God. We see when they, they get to the land, the promised land, first of all, they refuse to go in. They were afraid that the enemies that were in that land would uh, enslave their children or kill their children, so they refused to go in. So they end up spending the 40 years in the wilderness. And when they finally do enter the land under Joshua, we find their conquest of the land was incomplete. Well, when it was divided up among the tribes, the people didn't deal with the Canaanites, as God had said. They tried to just peacefully coexist, and they ended up adopting a lot of the idolatrous practices of the Canaanites, and we see the dark, dark days described in the book of Judges, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Move on through their history, and we find that although God was to be their king, they demanded a king like the other nations, and they end up getting a king like Saul. And then even when they they have other kings that come along, we find that uh, none of those kings were all that great, and even the ones that were the best certainly had great, great faults of their their own. And they end up moving into idolatry. And when God sends prophets along, they end up many times rejecting the prophets and not listening to them. And the the nation basically develops a a great spiritual pride and and an arrogance towards all the other nations, claiming to be the chosen people themselves and and rejected all the other nations around about them to whom God wanted to to use them in remarkable fashion. And and the ultimate is when their their promised Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus, comes onto the scene, 
uh, in fulfillment to Old Testament Scripture, and remarkable fulfillment to Old Testament Scripture, they reject him, and they crucify him. And they continue to this day to reject the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the nation of, of Israel. In fact, back in 70 A.D., we find that several years after the Lord was crucified, rose again. The Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, and Israel was then dispersed and was no longer a recognizable nation because they were scattered among the nations of the world until 1948. 1878 years they're they're outside of their homeland uh, people look at this record for Israel this is God's chosen people folks look at that and their the response is has God been mistaken concerning Israel and his promises to them does God keep his word can God's word be trusted uh, can we really believe what God has to say and the answer to that question is, yes, we can trust what God has to say. And this is what we are dealing with here, in, starting in verse 6 of Romans chapter 9, where it asks, starts out and says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. The record we see of Israel, the historical record, their rejection of the Messiah, their, their dismal record of faithfulness to God, does not mean that, that God's Word is not reliable. The problem is not with, with God. The problem was with the people of Israel. And this morning we want to go through the first six, verse 6 to verse 13 here in Romans chapter 9, and we see a couple of things stand out. We first of all see the effectiveness of God's sovereign Word, and then we are going to look and, and see the... Uh, the experience, and we find that, that what's actually going to take place and the expectation that, that came from God's Word. What did God really expect concerning Israel? Follow along as I read, starting in verse 6. It says, But it's not that the Word of God's taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall reserve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. We look at this passage and we find that first of all we need to consider God's word is always true. Uh, the Apostle Paul in doing this teaching uh, around the, the Roman world uh, had these questions raised of, of him as he dealt many times with the Jews. God's word is always true. Uh, way back in Romans chapter 3, several months ago, we saw in verses 3 and 4, it says, For what, what if some did not believe? Some people didn't believe. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, every man a liar. 
Even if every person on this earth is a liar, God is true. You can depend upon what God has to say. Sometimes people let hypocrites stand between them and God. They say, well, uh, this person claims to be a Christian or claims to be a child of God, and, and look at the way that they act. God can't, God can't be trusted. God can't be depended upon. Well, it's, the problem's not with God. The problem's with people, whether it be the nation of Israel, whether it be professing Christians or real Christians today who sometimes aren't the greatest example and greatest testimony for the Lord. God's Word can be depended upon in the historical record. It can be depended upon when it gives us the evaluation of mankind's spiritual condition where God says we're all fallen creatures. Well, we all need a Savior. Man is not basically good. That's one of the problems with a lot of the social sciences that are going on in our world today and, and public policies that are made on the basis of this belief. They start out with the belief man is basically good. How's that working out in a lot of our public policies right now? You start out with that kind of an attitude, and, and you're going to go far, far astray. Man's not basically good. Man is fallen. Man's basically evil. We all have that bent towards sin, and we need a Savior. And we need to be changed by God. We find that God's promises and God's prophecies are all true, and they can be depended upon. And Israel's rejection of Jesus, although it causes some to question God's word, really shouldn't. You can still depend upon God. You can still trust everything that God has to say. Israel's rejection of Jesus does not nullify God's word. In fact, anytime there is, is confusion or conflict between human understanding and God's word, the problem is always with man. Sometimes we read things that uh, bring questions about God's Word. A number of years ago, if you looked up the, the word Hittite in the encyclopedia, it would say that the Hittites were a mythological group of people that were mentioned in the Bible. You know what archaeologists have uncovered in the last 20 years? They've covered a whole Hittite, uncovered a whole Hittite civilization. You know, who, who was right, the encyclopedia or the Bible? Well, people would say, well, I'm going to go with the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, then you come up with all this that, that flies in the face of that. Whenever there's wrong understandings, uh, it's always the problem is with man. When, when there are wrong interpretations, the problem's not with the Bible. The problem is sometimes with the interpretations that men come up with. Problem's never with God and His Word. The problem is with, with man. It's always human understanding that you can find the fault with. And uh, we find that there's misunderstanding concerning the descendants of Abraham. Well, we saw something of that when we read John chapter 8, where we find that the Jews had the attitude that because they were Jews, they were descendants of Abraham physically, they were okay with God. Just being a child of Abraham, or just having Jewish blood coursing through your veins made you right with God. That's just the way that it was. And some people still think in that terms today, just being a Baptist or just being a Lutheran or just being an American makes you right with God. But, but they, they were counting on the fact of their heritage. You know, they had, they had the temple, they, they had uh, Jerusalem, they had the law, they had all this going for them, but they thought basically it was their heritage 
that was going to make them right with God. They were right with God because of who their father was. And uh, Jesus goes on, and he corrects that. I hope you picked that up when we were reading a little earlier. He points out, you're not all of Abraham. You're not all the true descendants of Abraham. Physically, yeah, you may be. But in actuality, he tells them, you are of your father, who? The devil. He says, if you really were children of Abraham and children of God, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. You would recognize me as being the Messiah and the Son of God. But, but because you reject God, you reject me, you're demonstrating you're not of God. You're of your father, the devil. Sometimes people say today, well, you know, we're all children of the same father. We're all children of God. That's not what Jesus said. Physically, yeah, we may all get our, our, uh, take our descent back to, to uh, Adam or take it back to Noah now since the flood took place, but, but not everybody's a child of God. Uh, the only way you become a child of God is by being born again and putting our trust in Christ as Savior, and we come into God's family that way. There are those that yet today are children of the devil, and they, they demonstrate their connection with the devil because the, the, the devil was a murderer. That's why they wanted to murder Jesus. They were their father, the devil. And the devil's a liar. And uh, people demonstrate those qualities in their lives today. So we find that there's a misunderstanding about the descendants of Abraham. And that's what's causing some of the questions that come up here. Well, if, if the Jews, if all the Israelites are not trusting in Jesus, they're rejecting the Messiah, then, then God's plan has failed miserably. And the thing that's pointed out here is, God's plan never involved every single physical descendant of Abraham. Not all of Abraham's descendants are true Israelites. Uh, not all are recipients of the promises of God. Not all respond to God in faith. And he gives a couple of examples here. First of all, he talks about the fact that uh, Isaac was the son of promise. God made some great promises to Abraham. If you're not familiar with it, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. For some reason, he chose Abraham. We don't know why he chose Abraham. There's nothing good about Abraham that caused him to choose Abraham. It's just God's sovereign choosing grace. He chose to pull Abraham out of that, that family of idol worshipers. And he chose Abraham, and he said, Abraham, if you'll go to the place that I'm going to show you, I, I will make of you a great nation. I will give you all the, the land that I'm going to show to you. And I will bless all the nations of the world through your seed. That, that's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God made that unconditional promise to Abraham, and it is still valid today. If the United Nations would just get a hold of the covenant of Abraham, that would take care of the problems in the Middle East. But they, they reject that. that. That's an unconditional covenant God made with Abraham. Now, Abraham then... Uh, one of the things that's part of the covenant, he's going, to have, he's going to become a great nation. He's going to have many descendants. And through one special seed, one special descendant, the Lord Jesus, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. It's to Abraham's descendant, Jesus, we owe our salvation today, don't we? But uh, we find that Abraham had other children. Abraham had Ishmael 13 years before Isaac was born. He had Ishmael with uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. 
Isaac was the son through whom the promise and the covenant was going to come, not through Ishmael. We find that repeated several places in the book of Genesis. So right there you see from the get-go, just being a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you get all the promises, doesn't mean you get all the blessings, doesn't mean you're right with God. Ishmael and his descendants certainly turned away from God. Some say, well, you know, you can understand that because they, they, you know, Hagar, Hagar was Ishmael's mother and, and Sarah was Isaac's mother. So you can see that. Well, you move on, you look at Jacob and Esau. They had the same parents. Uh, they both had Rebekah and Isaac for their parents. In fact, they were twins. And yet we find that in that situation, God chooses Jacob and passes over Esau. Jacob becomes the son of promise. The covenant is going to come through Jacob, not through Esau. Just because God decides that's the way it's going to be. Why did he choose Jacob instead of Esau? We don't know. Uh, it, It rests with God. God choosing, God's choosing, electing grace. And we go through here and we, we see it spells this out in several of the verses that we looked at here. In fact, we find that in the case of Jacob, we find he and, he and Esau had the same parents. And we see that it doesn't have anything to do with their works because the, the choice is made before they're ever born, before they did anything. And the choice wasn't based upon birth order. Some might say, well, you know, it should go to the oldest. Well, in actuality, we find that Esau was the oldest. And God says, no, it's not going to be through Esau. The promise is going to come through Jacob. And when you look at their their lives, you look at Jacob and the kind of a guy that he turned out to be, he certainly wasn't chosen on the basis of his work. You know, Jacob had his own, in fact, the, uh, the term means deceiver, supplanter, the one who, uh, the one who twists things around. That, that's kind of what Jacob was. So he certainly was not a perfect individual that deserved having the, uh, the, the promises being given to him. So God's choice wasn't based on birth order. God's choice wasn't based on their works that they did. God's choice of Jacob was based on one thing. His own sovereign will. He chooses Jacob. He chose Abraham out of all the people of Ur. He chose Isaac ahead of of, uh, Ishmael. And he chose Jacob and not Esau. And we have the prophetic statement given in verse 12, before they're ever born. It's said that the older is going to serve the younger. Now, in reality, this, this promise has to do with the nations that came out of them, their descendants. Jacob became the father of all the Israelites. And Esau became the father of the, the nation of Edom or the Edomites. And we don't find any record really in Genesis where, where Esau is serving Jacob necessarily. But we do find records where the nation of Edom many times was subservient to the nation of, of Israel. And so the the promise goes on through. And, and then after that, in verse 13, we see a rather perplexing statement. And uh, it's a quote of Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where it makes the statement, 
Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. How many have problems when you hear that? <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. Does? This is God speaking. Jacob I've loved, Esau I hated. Well, first of all, a couple things come into play here. Number one, it's not talking specifically about the individuals that come into play here, but it's talking once again about their nations. In fact, the, the uh, quote that comes from Malachi, where it says uh, the God has promised his love to Israel, and Israel responds back uh, and say, well, you know, how have you loved us? God said, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And then the question, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the world. Malachi was written over 1,500 years after Jacob and Esau were born. So we're fine. This is talking about the nations that came out of them, Edom and Israel. And also this, this terms love and hate, the way we have it used here. We think of love and hate. We think of our emotions, right? We think of the way that we feel towards people or we feel to, towards things. You know, we love people and we, we may hate certain people. Or we may hate certain things. You know, I hate cauliflower or I hate broccoli or I hate it when it's 97 degrees and you got to work out in the hot sun. Uh, a lot of times we have the feelings in play here. When, when this statement's made in Scripture, it's not talking about God despising Esau, but it is talking about Jacob being chosen over Esau. Let me show you a verse that helps to explain this. Turn back to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 26. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not, what? Hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus talking about there? The cults take this passage and they use it to twist it around and sometimes cut people off from their families. Jesus isn't saying here, in order to be a Christian and a follower of Christ, I have to despise my wife. I have to despise my kids. I, I have to just be utterly revolted by my parents. I don't have to be so negative towards my own life that I'm ready to do away with it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about there are going to be choices. There, there are going to be choices where we have to choose whether we are going to be obedient to God and what he would have us to do and follow Jesus or what family may want us to do. Sometimes there are choices that come into play. Uh, sometimes there are choices between what God would have us to do and what we prefer to do for ourselves, what would seem to be uh, 
more profitable and easier and more comfortable for ourselves. And when it comes to a choice between Jesus and my comfort, who should win every time? Jesus should win every time. If there's a choice between Jesus and what my parents would have me to do, if it runs contrary to what Christ would have me to do, where's the choice come down? He's saying here, choose me. You've got to choose me. And, and if you don't choose me, if you're putting all these other people ahead of me, you can't be my disciple. It just doesn't work that way. When we know Christ as Savior, we follow him. That's what he's talking and, and that's what he's talking about here. It's not that God despised, was revolted by, was super negative toward Esau. It's talking about the fact that he chose Jacob above Esau. He chose Jacob to be the son of promise. That's the plan. And we, we find as we, we go through the scriptures, there, there are two facts that stand out about today even who the true children of Abraham are. It's not every physical descendant of Abraham. By the way, it's also not every physical descendant of Isaac or every physical descendant of Jacob. Uh, in fact, Jesus said, remember in, in John 8, some of you, you're of your father the devil. But who's the descendant of Abraham? Go back to Galatians chapter 3. And it says in verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The only true descendants of Abraham were those that walked in faith. In fact, even you and I today, in our day and age, we can have a spiritual connection with Abraham. And he becomes our father in faith. That doesn't make us Jewish, but it gives us that connection with Abraham. And the key thing here, the big thing here is faith. Faith. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Also coming into play, there are those whom God has sovereignly chosen and drawn to himself. God's electing, choosing, sovereign grace continues to be in the picture and we'll see that a little more even as we move through Romans chapter 9 what do we what do we take away from this what lessons can we learn you know some of you say well this is all ancient history this this I'm not Jewish this doesn't pertain to me what's involved here well first of all the thing we need to learn as we look at this passage of scripture as well as other scriptures salvation rests with God well we only get saved when, when it it, it comes to God working in our hearts apart from his working in our hearts you will we are never saved you'll never get saved it's not a matter of you can come to Christ whenever you feel like it and the Bible says some things like God says my spirit will not always strive with man we need the spirit of God to regenerate us we need the spirit of God to work in us the Bible says in Isaiah 55 seek the Lord when he may be found bottom line is salvation rests with God let me encourage you this morning if you don't know Christ don't play games with God don't play games with the Lord we come to God on his terms and if the Spirit of God is showing you this morning your need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ let me encourage you do not harden your heart against him surrender 
If you understand you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you understand this morning that Jesus Christ is that Savior that God has provided, let me plead with you this morning. Don't, don't turn the Spirit away. Don't harden yourself against that. Rather, recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior and surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You might not have another opportunity. You have no guarantee the Holy Spirit's going to work in your heart again. You better surrender to God today. Don't play games with God. We're not the ones in control. God is sovereign, and we need to do things according to Him. And by the way, don't worry whether you are elect or whether you're chosen. You just take advantage of the great invitations that are given to us that promise us if we'll come to Christ, He'll in no wise cast us away. We're told if we'll believe in Him, we'll have everlasting life, and we will not perish. Just come to Jesus. That's your business. That's what you need to do. And if you're here this morning, you've come to Christ as your Savior. That's great. That's fantastic. If you haven't, you're in trouble. You're in a bad condition. You need to make sure you get that taken care of today. Secondly, we are responsible to believe. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to recognize we're sinners, believe the gospel, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we find third lesson. Just like not every physical Jew is a descendant of Abraham, not every professing believer is a true Christian. Anybody can say they're a Christian, but not every professing Christian is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the failure of professing Christians doesn't nullify God's Word. Even the failure of real Christians doesn't nullify God's Word. Sometimes as, as Christians, we fall short of what God would have us to be, right? And, and, yeah, the unsaved world looks at us, and they want to use that as an excuse for them rejecting the gospel, and they ought not to do that. You know, nobody should be letting a hypocrite or, or somebody else's failure stand between us and, between them and God. You know, God's Word predicts the existence of those who are going to falsely confess Christ. We have the parable of the wheat and the tares in, in Matthew 13. In, 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 in 1 John 2, it talks about, John says, they went out from us because they were not of us. There is such a thing as false professors that are in the picture. And we find that the big thing in here is there are, there are things that do not make you a Christian. Carrying a Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being born into a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Being part of a Bible-believing church doesn't make you a Christian. Getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Praying before your meals doesn't make you a Christian. Now, those are all good things to do, amen? But none of those make anybody a Christian. Just like just being a child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, didn't make anybody a true son of the promise, a true child of the promise. There's things that can't make you a Christian, but thank God there's one thing that does. And it's something that God enables us to do. By His grace, the only requirement that God places upon you and me is that we repent of our sin and we put our faith in Christ to save us. That's the only thing that can make us a true born-again Christian.
Christian. And my prayer is that everybody can walk out of here this morning saying, hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm trusting in Christ. Christ is my Savior. I'm living for Him. I'm following Him. And if there's anybody who's not, my prayer for you is that you will surrender your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my other prayer is that none of us would let anybody else's failures stand between us and, and a solid faith in God and His Word. God's promises can always be believed. You know, even when man falls, as it says there in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. If everybody in this auditorium this morning is a liar, that doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change his truth. And we need to recognize that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your working in the nation of Israel, your patience with them. We thank you that one day there will be a great remnant that will be restored and we brought into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom will be set up and, and God, it'll be a great thing that's yet to be fulfilled in the future. And we thank you, Father, because of the way you're going to fulfill your promises to Abraham. We can depend upon you to fulfill all of your promises to us that you've given to us in your word concerning salvation, concerning our future, concerning our forgiveness. And God, I pray we'd walk out of here this morning with a great confidence in you and in your word. And, and a gratitude, Father, for working in our life and drawing us to yourself. And I pray, Father, that anybody who doesn't know Christ, that's in the sound of my voice here this morning, they'd have no peace until they come to you and take Jesus to be their own Lord and Savior. Help them do it even before the service ends this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.